I mean, Sean Longstaff has played every Newcastle match this season. <laughs> Here we are every week wondering whether or not we need to fit in Ndombele or Hoybier or Lo Celso or Deli Alli or, or Skip even. And they're playing Sean bloody Longstaff every single match. Isn't he like the second best Longstaff? Yes, I think he is. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Plus Dave podcast, a Tottenham Hotspur-themed show brought to you by an assortment of Spurs fans and a Leeds fan called Dave. Dave, as always, is here to be our group troll and to provide us with a little bit of impartiality, just a degree of balance, and keep us all in check. Dave, welcome back for another episode. This is episode six now. How are you feeling about everything? Hey, Dags. Yeah, yeah I'm, fe- I'm feeling good. Uh, I'm not sure why we're having a podcast. Well, I'm going to get onto that, Dave. We haven't had any games, so I don't know why we're talking. But you know, I, I was trying—I was trying to avoid you for a couple of weeks. But here <laughs> you we thought are. Thought you were going to get a break for the international break, but no, sorry, Dave, you're working full time. We need you. We need you every week. As Dave just alluded to, we did not have a game, of course. Although we are recording this during the England game, which uh, maybe we shouldn't admit. Maybe we should be watching it. But business comes first. This is obviously more important. Uh, what we are going to talk about today: a couple of things. But uh, for the majority of the podcast. We're going to be talking about our board. We're going to be talking about Enoch, Daniel Levy and Joe Lewis, of course. Probably could have talked about this at any point, but given that we've had the protests recently, not for the first time, and of course it's uh, around about 20 years since the club was taken over, we thought this was as good a chance as any without there being a game to talk about um, our board and just kind of assess the last 20 years or so under Enoch and whether we think some of the calls for Enoch out, Levy out are fair and just to talk about pretty much both sides of the story really and it's probably quite fitting that our next opponents are of course Newcastle United who as everyone knows are now richer than God. They've recently been taken over by their new Saudi owners and they're our next opponents. Hopefully that's not enough time for them to go and buy Mbappe and Haaland and the rest of it. But uh, obviously it's something that we need to talk about. So uh, we will get onto that as well. To our lineup for the day, they say in football, never change a winning team. So uh, we've gone with the same quartet as last time. So um, it's my pleasure to welcome back again, Joe Brooker. Joe, how are you doing today? Yeah, not too bad, although I am coming off the back of a nasty cold over the last week. So I think I've picked up this super cold that's been going Just around. an I'm fine would have done, Joe. Tell the people what's going on. And, and, <laughs> I'm joking. No, you sound, you sound fine. It hasn't affected your voice, so that's the main thing. So that's good to hear. And I will also welcome back Elio, as always. Elio, how are you feeling about today's episode? As good as any other. I'm not really sure if that's positive or negative. <laughs> They've been very hit and miss these episodes in terms of our general mood. But I know this is a topic that you found yourself discussing a lot. And um, without giving the game away or giving any spoilers, would it be fair to say, generally speaking, that you probably fall relatively on the pro Enoch front? I mean, I'm not saying you agree with every decision they've made, but do you think it's safe to say that as far as our general fan base go, you're kind of on their side? Um, Difficult question, I know. I, I was, I was. Mm. I think that's been ebbed at for a good few years now, and that's probably um, culminated with that disastrous manager search throughout this summer, which has probably left me sympathising with those who would like to see the back of Enoch more than I ever have before. 
Yeah, and I guess that makes it a, probably a better time than any to talk about it because perhaps more than ever it is a pertinent issue and things are arguably worse than they have been in a long time. And I suppose that begs the question, what is more important to look at? Are we looking at the last few years or is it a case of what have they done for us over time? You know, it was the same when we looked at Pochettino. Obviously, everyone absolutely adored him and he brought us to a better place. But by the time he left, everyone was saying, yeah, maybe it makes sense that it is time for him to go. I guess similar comparison with Arsene Wenger at Arsenal. But is there an element of that? Is it a case of trying to weigh up the good versus the bad in your mind? I think there needs to be a question as to whether having got us close and on the precipice of tangible success, whether maybe that was it, that was as far as Enoch could get us and now it's plateaued. And as we always say, when you stand still in football, you go backwards. Um, ultimately, we were in a Champions League final two and a half years ago off the back of almost 15 years worth of infrastructure and building from the appointment of Frank Arneson as a director of football once upon a time through various managers. A little bit trial and error in terms of the types of managers they went for at times, but there, there was a consistent theme of managers who wanted to play good football, who wanted to encourage youth development, that kind of thing. And it, mm. it all kind of crystallised in a good way under Pochettino, but that declined alarmingly quickly considering how long it took to get there and that makes you feel almost a bit like the height of our time under Enoch was was a castle built on sand so to speak and the moments the foundation that was Pochettino was dismissed as opposed to potentially being backed and supported through a tough time it began to crumble and what we now have is a argumentative and discontented fan base and a seeming lack of any kind of common direction as a football club and that that as rumours would have it goes as far as into the board level as well with everyone wanting something slightly different. We probably can't argue with the fact that if you compare where we were when it took over and where we are now obviously you've seen it all. I mean, that's more or less coincides with when you started going as a season ticket holder, more or less. But is there any argument that we're in a better spot now than we were when they took over? We absolutely are. That's without a shadow of a doubt. We we have obviously this magnificent training centre and stadium with the ability to attract, even without Champions League football, the ability to attract really, really good players to the club. I mean, that's not a myth. We, mm. we, we are doing that now and we are a far bigger name of football now than we were in the middle of 2000 slash 2001 when they took over. So, so yeah, it's undeniable that we're in a better position. However, how much of that is down to the work Enoch have done and how much of that is just down to case of right place, right time, and Premier League money has blown up and we've taken advantage of it in a good way. That might be a bit harsh because in the context of other clubs not having taken advantage as well as us, whether that's your Aston Villas, your West Hams, your teams that have been regulars or ever present in the Premier League, we've mm -hmm. obviously done a hell of a lot better so that when we were level pegging and even behind these clubs at the time. So maybe it is unfair to say Enid got lucky with their timing, but at the same time, if you compare it to the other really big clubs in the Premier League, the other ever-present Premier League clubs, Chelsea, Man United, Arsenal, Liverpool, and, well, Manchester City aren't ever-present, but you can't deny they're a big club now. Mm. Um, yeah. When you compare us with those five sides, you have to wonder why even Arsenal, with all their decline in the last sort of decade, 
are absolutely golfing us still in terms of tangible achievement. You mentioned the stadium there, and I think the stadium and, and everything that comes with it is something that's often cited by opposers of, of Enoch. I mean, no one can deny the stadium's fantastic. We've all, we've all seen it, or at least most of us have, and it's a beautiful stadium, and it's the envy of the world. And, of course, it's host to the boxing concerts. The NFL as well is obviously a big thing. And I think the impression I get from reading forums and from reading tweets from, from fans who are opposing our board are that their interests lie elsewhere. And there's obviously a lot of focus on all the merchandise and everything else that goes around it. And I think the consensus, without oversimplifying, it seems to be by a lot of the Enoch Out crowd that our board value profit over everything else. You see the banners, the profit over glory, the to dare is too dear and all this. And, and it's the idea that it's just a business. They don't care about the football. The results aren't important. And it's just a case of Tottenham is just a part of this wider brand. And as long as they keep making money and the shop is still full every match day, then it doesn't matter. Do you think that's fair? Or do you think there's an element of truth to that at all? No, I think that's a load of rubbish. You do? Yeah, that's crap. Enoch have consistently said that any money generated by the club, by player sales, by merchandise, whatever, goes back into the club. And Enoch have consistently put all that money back into the club. And as a shareholder of the club, I get to see the accounts every single time. I have my mm. paltry. I think it's just under 3,000 shares or just under 2,000. It was a present from my father. <laughs> um, but I have enough to get me sent the accounts every single year. And mm. while I'm no accountant, it's fairly plain and simple that... And these are publicly available anyway. Our accounts are publicly available. You don't need to be a shareholder. You can get them through our own club's yeah. website. Enoch have not taken money out of the club. They have not made a profit. Where they will make a profit is when they sell the club. For them to make a profit out of selling the club, especially how much they'd have to sell it for now that it's as valuable as it is and has an asset like the stadium and the training ground and whatever, for them to be able to sell it at a profit, the club needs to be successful on the pitch no one's going to buy a club that's languishing in seventh eighth ninth so even if enix motive is to ultimately make a big profit they haven't been making a profit in fact actually they've put a lot of their own money in their pockets towards the stadium so if they want to make that profit then fine that means success on the pitch where i criticize enix isn't for being money grabbing or taking money out of the club or anything like that where i criticize enix is that with what they have actually developed and put in place infrastructure-wise, there has been the opportunity on several occasions to get us over the line of being a challenger to being the big club. And listen, it's not their fault we lost cup finals and semi-finals. We've yeah. had more than enough opportunities to win trophies because if a team is good enough to get to a final, it's good enough to win the final as well, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. However, they haven't created a platform for consistent success, despite developing a club that can offer that consistent success. And that's down to sort of a haphazard managerial approach, haphazard targeting of players. And when push comes to shove and there were opportunities to put a bit of their hands in their pockets, they didn't. Uh, when we were challenging under Redknapp in Redknapp's final season, the season we ended up mm. finishing fourth and not getting Champions League because of Chelsea winning in the final, that season they could have bought us... Uh, 2011 we're we talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. no, 2012, 2012. 2012 that yeah. season, they could have put their hands in their pockets in January when we were within a point of the top and in or two points of the top or something like that. And instead, they gave Harry Redknapp, who by that point had earned the backing, mm. Nelson and Zahar. 
two yeah, I remember because we were over linked with players. Cahill at the time, weren't we? And we ended up getting Nelson. I think that was one <laughs> of the things that people bring back. But at the time, would have been an interesting signing. Joe, do you think um, Levy and Lewis care about the club's success? Do you think football is high on their agenda or do you think it's just a business to them? Yeah, I mean, I, obviously, I, I don't know them personally, I'll be honest. But um, <laughs> I, I, I do get the impression, certainly, that Daniel Levy's invested. You know, he's, he, he's such a, a difficult combative character uh, when it comes to you know player transfers and the way he interacts with other club owners and uh, and hierarchies and I know it, it drives Spurs fans furious like the number of times I think there's been we've been very close to some pretty interesting things happening in the transfer market and they've not quite happened maybe because of Levy's ego I would kind of take that as a sign that that he is invested and, and he is hands-on and, and and interested in Tottenham's success yeah I feel I feel confident saying that I want to get on to talk about some of the signings in a moment, but I think success as a football club and success as a business in this instance kind of go hand in hand, don't they? So I think it does seem a little bit strange to say that an owner or a board aren't interested in the club doing well and they won't, you know, because surely if it was as simple as spend more money, we'll win more trophies and we'll be challenging for the league or for challenging for the Champions League, whatever it might be, they would do it because that would be an investment. It would be a no-brainer. But that's the thing that I struggle to understand. Elio, what are your thoughts on that? I've always admired the approach of running the club in a self-sustaining way and trying to develop the club and the playing side of the club without sort of mortgaging it or without sort of the Chelsea Manchester City model of throwing money out of it from a bottomless pit. I, I, I have always admired that. However, if you're going to go with that model as they have, you have to be consistent in your approach at all times. You can't waver for a few years just because you want to attract Amazon to make a documentary for you or whatever the <laughs> motives are. Like We all of a sudden went from signing 19-year-old Carl Walker to signing a 29-year-old Matt Doherty uh, a decade later. I mean, where's the, the consistency in, in that? We, we went from going and sort of getting players on the precipice of becoming good players, but not quite at that level yet, like like Son, like Ericsson, like Dembele, who we Dave spoke about so glowingly last <laughs> week, to all of a sudden throwing 42 million at Davinson Sanchez, not even the best Ajax centre-back of that season. I mean... <laughs> Where's the thinking in all of that? So so I think it's great having the ideal of running the club in a self-sustaining way and competing within your own means. And I do believe success is achievable that way. But you have to be rigorous in your dedication to a model that delivers that. And it mm. seems that they kind of flit in and out of that model as they see fit. I mean, much as I love Gareth Bale and much as I think Gareth Bale returning was a wonderful story and I wish he'd been used more than he had, how is paying 12 million for a year of Gareth Bale consistent with everything that actually got us to that Champions yeah. League final and that second place finish? I mean, Gareth Bale's salary alone at Real Madrid is probably close to the combined salaries of every single player in the first team that finished second to Chelsea in 2017. And, and also, Elio, I don't think Mourinho actually wanted Bale. It was just kind of put That's the other in thing. Clearly, clearly didn't want Bale. Yeah. yeah, and that's the other thing. 
back your managers. If, mm. if your manager wants something, back them. All right, within reason, set parameters beforehand. But if Mourinho... Do- and listen, you know how much I disliked Mourinho, but in the end, admittedly, I, I drank the Kool-Aid at first, which you uh, <laughs> you, you never did, I Joe. But this, um, You weren't the only one, Elio. You weren't the only one. But you were all wrong. I was right. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> but... Don't don't give Mourinho a player he doesn't want. Instead, mm. give him the player he did want, which was Milan Skriniar from Inter Milan. I mean, it, yeah. it just back your managers for for once, and that is a consistent theme. In two thousand and eighteen, after third, second, third, we went into that summer and made not one signing for Pochettino. Yeah. Not one in the summer of two thousand and eighteen. How how is that backing your best ever manager? Mm. Oh, best manager of the modern era. That that that's ridiculous. I alluded to the Harry Redknapp situation before, fighting for a title challenge up there with Man United and Manchester City that season, and he gives them two geriatric past at footballers who even at their peak weren't that great. Like yeah. What what what's all that about? It's funny because I mean, a lot has been made of our of our net spend, and you, you always see the graphic going around from Sky Sports on Twitter, and and you see all the net spend of the you know the rest of the so called big six, and then you see ours, which is virtually breaking even. And I guess there's two ways to look at it, isn't there? You can say it's commendable that we've managed to be sustainable all this time, and we've been doing that. You have a lot of people always talking about how good a negotiator Daniel Levy is, and you know we get the best deals when we're selling players, we get the best deals when we're buying players, and I'm sure a lot of it ties into that. But then is it a case of just comparing? Comparing what we've spent and what we've won with some of the other teams above us and thinking that there's more wiggle room than we're being shown. I can't put my finger on it exactly to mm. tell you the truth. I um I think a lot of people get the impression that we're it's good enough in their mind. We're just at a point where we're doing well, we've come a long way, we're profitable, we're almost one of the top teams, but we're not, and that's good enough. And it's too much of a gamble to maybe push it too much further. And you mentioned a couple of signings as well, and, and obviously, you know, Skriniar is one you mentioned that's quite recently. I mentioned Cahill earlier and just to reel off a few other names, I've just been looking through some of the history of some of the players we've been linked with that allegedly... Remember that the press lie. Well, no, I was about to say, allegedly, we were we were linked to. And, you know, I'm curious to hear if you if you have any more intel, any more in-the-know details on any of these. But just a few here. Obviously, Dybala is a big one that, that was talked about quite a lot. Uh, Grealish was one a couple of years ago. Penny would have been a lot cheaper that was talked about quite a lot. Coutinho, Mane before he went to Liverpool. Bruno Fernandes around the time we went for Lo Celso. Pereira, who went to, to Leicester, of course, and I'm sure there are plenty more. But I know every club can say the same thing, but do you think there is an issue, or do any of you think there is an issue with Spurs in terms of just not going far enough and going for those players that will cost that little bit more and trying to get the cheap alternatives? Listen, the Pereira thing, for instance, I'm not going to debunk every one of those one by one because no. that would be incredibly boring. It's fair but... to say that we take each one with a pinch of salt. <laughs> but take it with a pinch of salt. But we didn't sign Pereira, but we did spend more money on Oria, who at the time was a highly rated right-back coming from PSG. So mm. you can't overly criticise the thinking process in terms of going for one over the other. That that wasn't penny pinching. That was just choosing between one player and the other. I don't know just what input Pochettino had. Exactly, yeah. arguably a bad move. Uh, other ones you mentioned, Bruno Fernandes. Well, we didn't buy Bruno Fernandes when he himself has confirmed it was very, was very yeah. close. But um, the reason we didn't get him is because instead we went for Lo Celso, who by all accounts was the one the manager wanted. So it's funny, actually, I've just criticised them 
for not backing the manager. They did actually back him with Lo Celso and Ndombele and Sessegnon. And uh, and the problem with that was that because the season started badly, they got rid of him. And those players have ne- mm. are now on their fourth manager in the space of two and a half years. So they backed him too late. The rot had already set in almost. They should have backed him a year previously instead of making a grand total of zero signings. So... There's something wrong with how we get players. There clearly is, because we seem to often get the wrong ones and pay more for them than other clubs are playing for the right ones. And I understand why a lot of fans were like, oh no, we got Emerson when Arsenal got Tommy Yusu, because Tommy Yusu had had five good minutes. But uh, So I understand where fans are coming from with that. But at the yeah. same time, that was a bit premature, which I'm sure will prove to be the case. Yeah. But I just think... Like I said, it's that the inconsistency of do we back the manager, do we not back the manager, do we spend big, do we go for youth? There's no consistent plan and there hasn't been for a long time. And the only time things did click was when there was a consistent plan. And for some reason, they abandoned it at the first sniff of trouble when really what they should have tried to do is repeat the trick, not just go for a completely new approach. It was like they're making cocktails their entire lives and they get a bad batch and all the customers complain. So the next night when everyone shows up and says we want something better than last night, instead of trying to make new cocktails or better cocktails, they serve them protein shakes. Like I was waiting on your every word of that analogy. I really wanted to hear where you were going with that, but that's, uh, that's brilliant. Yeah, perhaps it is just a case of not backing the managers or, or just not having that consistency. I mean, there's always going to be the, the exceptions. I mean, you can look at someone like Human Son that was potentially being chased after by quite a lot of others who's been obviously a roaring success by by any standards. And there, you know, he has. Be a couple of those. And it's easy with hindsight to look back at these players. But I think you've got to not fall into the trap of looking at how the players have turned out and look at how sensible a signing they were at the time. I mean, you look at someone like Doherty, who had actually had a pretty good season with Wolves under Nuno. I think a lot of us thought he was going to be better than he was. Just you mentioned him earlier off the top of my head. True. But that screams of player identification issues because mm. he looks good in a system. But where was the thinking process of, okay, he's been great as a right wing back for Wolves in a system that's all about getting the ball to the flanks quickly, getting it into the wingers. And he's also got yeah. Traore doing a lot of his running for him, whatever. I'm no scout. I can't analyse why Doherty was good for Wolves and bad for us. But... Mm. If I was, then these are the things I would look for. I would look for the actual fit in the club. And sometimes it, I feel like our signings are so flavour of the month. Oh, he's been great in that league or he's just had a great season. Let's go for him. And some of the time you'll do well. You'll get a Hoybier, you'll get a Modric or a Gareth Bale who'd had a good season with Southampton at 17. But sometimes they'll get that will go horribly wrong and you'll get a Doherty or you'll get a Milenko Asimovic or you'll get a Darren Bent. Like sometimes that just won't work out. Mm. And and that just screams of something going really, really wrong in the research they do on the players they sign. That that's the only explanation for it because yeah, because it's always players who have had a, a good recent history. David Bentley, what an yeah, example! You wouldn't there. sign somebody who's been rubbish, right? So there's always an element, an element of that. Exactly. Um, do you think it might be slightly a case of the the better players or the ones that you know we allegedly missed out on? Maybe there's an exaggeration the extent to which we were linked to them. Do you think maybe Grealish, Mane, Coutinho? So Grealish was an interesting one. Grealish, we basically were expecting Villa to take whatever we gave them and they had all but accepted it because of the fact that they were very quickly going bust. Yeah. 
but they they, over, they they held out held out held out mm. got the takeover and suddenly he became not for sale at any price that one's not on the club of course if there's an opportunity to get him for a reasonable fee we're going to when he's only got a good year in the championship really as as evidence of why we should be going for him so i don't really blame them for that because it's not as if any other club went and paid the money that would have been needed to price him from the new owner's hands. Uh, situations like that, I'm less judgmental. Mane, Liverpool came and offered him an amount that would have made him by far our top earner at the time. Yeah. Like we, we couldn't compete. So I don't want to hammer the club for things like that. Uh, I'd rather hammer the club for things that were within their powers and they didn't achieve, like... Pereira, similar wages, similar signing fee to Aurea, but they went for Aurea despite all sorts of red flags, very public <laughs> media red flags. Was he arrested for something? Or? He was a, I, th- I don't want to slander the guy, but something along those lines. I actually like Aurea as a character and uh, <laughs> I have a lot of respect for him, but there were so many red flags around him. Yeah. Pereira, cheaper option, better option, didn't go for him. And you may say hindsight's a wonderful thing, but... Yeah. I feel like anyone could have predicted that Aurea had as good a chance of failing as a signing as succeeding. And in the end, he probably did succeed sometimes and fail other times. I think you could look at a lot of clubs and and see a lot of hits and misses when it comes to transfers. But it certainly seems like there are more misses with us. Dave, what have you made of Spurs transfer policy in the last, uh, let's say, 10 years or so? How would you sum it up? Well, you've spent more than you've made. Okay. So that shows that you're putting a little bit of effort in to, uh, not a lot to more, sign not some players. to our, our so-called peers. Well, I guess not. But at the same time, I think it's interesting because you're, you're kind of at a point now where 100 million players improve your team, your starting eleven, And I can imagine that's quite a difficult place to be. And even Daniel Levy's, that's new territory for him as well. It's... It's something that, you know, is a completely different thing. And there's not many £100 million players in the world. And suddenly you're competing with quite a lot of big fish for not very many scraps of food. So Are you saying speak. that only a player of that level, 100 billion player, will improve our team? Because I think... Well, I'm saying that you've got... Well, how many £100 million players have you got? You've probably got two, haven't you? Those players wouldn't sign for you right now, if we're being One honest. One of them wants to leave. Harry Kane and Son wouldn't sign for you. Yep. And that's what you'd be looking to do to replace them with like for like and like for like would be that kind of money. Or you've got a scouting system in place and you've got a way of, of finding the diamonds in the rough. Yeah, and which as we have you've done clearly said, uh, you clearly said you've done in the past, mm. but you've also been knee jerk and knee jerk is dangerous. The opposite of that. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's very much kind of, you know, looking at the last five minutes and said, oh, he played well in the World Cup. Let's get him. And, <laughs> you know, sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't, Carol but it's hit and miss by its, it, by its very you definition. You mentioned Rocco Jr. for you guys last <laughs> week. And that's, yeah. I exactly, I, I absolutely did. And, and, you know, that's how it works. Our I think, version Sissoko. Yeah, exactly. And I think we need to focus, you need to focus on, you know, uh, other clubs and look at, you know, yes, there are other clubs that spend a lot of money, but there's also a lot of clubs that spend a lot of stupid money. They act too quickly, they act too slowly in the transfer market. One thing I would say for Tottenham, when it comes to transfers, I've never really thought that you were a shambles. I've never really thought, you know, like pick a club at random, Manchester United. 
Um, how, how and the way that they that handled really the Fellaini, the Fellaini transfer, if you remember back to then, you know, they had an option to buy him for cheaper, and they lapsed that option only to buy him eventually for for way more money. It's those kind of things that make you go, "What are you playing at? What's the strategy? Why are you doing this?" Whereas I've never really thought that when I've thought about Spurs and their transfer dealings, I've always thought that it's been considered. Don't get me wrong; sometimes it's been poorly considered, but considered nonetheless. Um, there doesn't seem to be that much of a uh, of a wild jump to the front of the queue or wait to the bargains at the end of this. You know, there's no there's no there's no Man United and there's no Harry Redknapp element to it. It's anymore. not some kid playing football manager <laughs> uh, and just going out and splashing. Exactly, cash. waiting for the waiting for the transfer list on the last day of the transfer window. Personally, moving a bit slightly away from transfers, I think the the issue for me and the thing that the thing that would make me think that this conversation is relevant right now is the, the manager search. Mm. And there's got to be question marks about the stadium and you know what the stadium is, why the stadium is there, and what it is doing for results on the pitch, which is a different question and probably a bigger question. But I think it's part and parcel of the same. I would problem. say I'm, I'm curious if anyone has any thoughts, but I think that's a long-term thing. I think the idea is that the stadium will lay the infrastructure and the investment so that the results on the pitch in maybe five or ten years will be better. Whether that's the right play is another question. Whether we should be a bit more short-term and not run the risk of falling behind as a club in terms of our results is another issue. What do you guys think about the stadium and everything else that's, that's come with it? All of the other spending and all of the kind of infrastructure investment that's gone on in the last few years. So I think the stadium was a necessity. If we're going to run it in a self-sustaining way, then we couldn't have ever done that with a stadium as small as White Hart Lane, much as I loved it. And I think it was a better stadium than this stadium in terms of how I felt when I was there. But that was where I grew up, so I'm going to be biased. Uh, It was a necessity. And you just have to look at the revenue that the stadium does actually generate. Even now that fans are so discontented, the revenue it's it's generating is amazing. We were short of 10,000 fans the other day, and it was still over 50,000 fans. And it's not just what they're spending on their tickets, it's what they're spending on the merchandise, on the drinks. And there's a lot of tourist fans, which I don't particularly like. But it's what we need if we're going to compete under this board, as opposed to selling ourselves for an oil baron like um, three other clubs in this league now. So I I really don't want to look at the stadium as anything other than what it says on the tin, which is our way of being able to finally compete on spend. And in fairness, since the stadium opened, all right, pandemic halted it, but now that the stadium opened again, we spent again this summer. Since it opened, we have spent. So that they have actually backed up what they said. The stadium funds will go into the team. Our net spend over the last three years is probably more than it was in the previous 10. Mm. So, and listen, I'm not a net spend junkie, as you know, but the facts are there. And in terms of what we were doing with the stadium, up until the pandemic hit in the roughly one year on the dot that the stadium was open just under, we mm. generated more through our stadium than any other club, including, I believe, though I might be wrong on this, Manchester United in this league. So yeah. if you're doing that, then it justifies why the stadium was built. The big issue with the stadium is the fact that it made them take the eye off the ball on the playing side. That's the biggest issue with the stadium. While they were Mm. billing it, they neglected the squads and a squad of very good players went stale, as they do when they're not refreshed, and became a bad squad. And that's the part that could have been handled better if Levy had just 
just brought in someone to delegate a bit more of the decision making, a bit of the footballing power at the club. Get rid of it, Levy. You focus on building the stadium. You focus on the economics. Let someone else run the footballing side with Pochettino. That's what he should have done. It was so obvious that he was burning the candle at both ends and something was bound to slip. And unfortunately, you can't let the stadium side slip because, well, if it doesn't get open and we play at Wembley forever, that's going to be a whole other issue. <laughs> but he did let the playing side slip and... That, from a fan's point of view, whatever the justifications and reasons, will always be unforgivable. We've talked about the decision-making and the apparent lack of direction from the board. I think that's something that was brought up by the supporters' trust as well recently. There was a lot made about them trying to get a meeting with the board, which they were turned down for. And I think the idea was to discuss the strategy going forward. And they've obviously been told no and that the door is shut and it's been pretty roundly criticised. Joe, I'm going to come to you. I mean, obviously, these guys have both mentioned the decision-making, the direction seems to be all over the place. It seems like there's no consistency. We don't really know what the message is do you think you have an idea in terms of what Spurs transfer strategy is do you think you have an idea where we're going as a club moving forward and what we're trying to achieve or do you do you agree that there's a bit of confusion and a little bit of inconsistency there yeah definitely inconsistency because you mentioned the, the summer where Poch got nothing and everybody was just kind of like you're not really going to like give him nothing to go into the new season when you're trying to you know stay in the top four and I always just assumed that that happened because we had a, this brand new stadium to worry about paying off debt on. So I kind of accepted that. And then we have gone out and bought 50 and 40 million pound players in subsequent years. And so I'm sort of like, oh, so, so there is money to, to buy quite expensive players with, even though we've got this stadium to pay off. So there seems to be money to buy really classy defenders from Italy when the opportunity comes up. Um, and that's really what's confusing me most about the, the strategy here. And, and I mean, yeah, the, the, the shambles over the manager really hasn't helped with that. I do think the financial running of the club is solid. Joe Lewis and Daniel Levy, you're not going to find two guys that know finance much better than they do, you know, apart from a, a pretty dodgy Bear Stearns investment that Joe Lewis made right before the financial crisis 10 years ago. But... One, one thing I, I did want to shift the conversation on to was salary outlay, because I don't know if this is why I've always been fairly accepting of Spurs always being on the threshold of trying to become a top four team, but there is just such a strong link in every league in Europe between what you spend on your playing talent for the season and where you finish in the league that Spurs are, I, I think yeah. we are the sixth highest spenders on salary behind Arsenal, so... You know, you're not going to finish in the top four every season if that's where you are salary-wise. Yeah, and Elio mentioned earlier, obviously, the situation with Mane that Liverpool came in and offered him more than we were ever realistically going to be able to pay. And on that point, moreover, I think um, you mentioned salary, but just in terms of money in general, in terms of revenue, in terms of income, and in terms of money we have available to spend. Some interesting stats. I was looking this up earlier, and I found an article talking about the fact that obviously Spurs fans deride our club for not having won enough trophies. But if you actually look back to, say, the beginning of the Premier League, which is an important turning point, of course, it's when money started to become absolutely everything in English football. And you look at all the trophies, and in that whole time, the only three clubs 
with less money than Spurs that have actually won the FA Cup are Everton, Wigan and Portsmouth, which, you know, especially with Wigan and Portsmouth, a little bit of a Cinderella story there. So it's generally the big clubs with more money than us. And it's exactly the same when you look at the league as well. I mean, Leicester's the obvious glaring exception, but pretty much every other time a team has won the league since the Premier League began, it's been a team with more money than Spurs. Leicester are the only ones in that time. In 27 seasons, there's only been one team at the time had less money than Spurs that won the league and that's three FA Cup winners in 27 seasons that have won the league with less money than Spurs and that's 92.6% of trophies out of those two particular trophies and it doesn't change much with the League Cup I've looked that up as well that are won by clubs with more money than us and you can't really ignore that and I think is there a sense that we're coming back to this we've mentioned it before is it a case of a slight sense of entitlement in our fan base without potentially good reason thinking that we should just be walking to trophies all the time when we never really have, we've got a good history that goes back a long time. We've won FA Cups years gone by. But do you think people aren't realising just how difficult it is to win a major trophy? I think you refer highly to the Premier League era. And in fairness of all the clubs that have been in the Premier League in that era, whether they still are now or not. Yeah, you could even say, other than Leicester, who've won a league and an FA Cup and the obvious other five clubs, We've had the best run by actually having two League Cups in that time and several finals as well, which Everton can't say. Everton have the one FA Cup, West Ham have won nothing, Uh, Villa have won nothing, Leeds have won nothing, Newcastle have won nothing. That may be about change. uh, There's a lot of big clubs there that haven't won anything in the last three decades themselves. Um, But football didn't actually start in 1992, uh, as we all know. And historically, this is our most barren run of all time in the 60s we won several trophies in the 70s we won several trophies in the 80s we won several trophies even in the 90s we had two and now we've had one in 20 years yeah one trophy and that was in 2008 if we don't win a trophy by the end of the season that's 14 years it will have been since the 2008 league cup and 14 years We have not had a barren run that long at any point in our history since World War II. We won in 1951, we won the league, and then in 1961 we did the double, and that was the biggest gap up until this point. And I think, yes, you can talk about the mega clubs sort of buying trophies left, right and centre, but we shouldn't have gone this long without it, considering our overall history. It's abhorrent. Yes, it could have been worse, Several of the teams, in fact, I think all of the teams I mentioned before have actually suffered relegation at some point. Manchester Mm. City suffered a relegation too. Leicester have had a couple. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't have ever wanted to see us go down, but I would have liked to have seen us get over the line at some point. I wonder if, if there's an argument to say this is a happy medium in the sense that we're taking enough of a risk and making enough of an outlay to ensure that we're stable and that we're always competing. And you mentioned we've got to a couple of finals and had we been a bit lucky one way or another, we could have won a couple of League Cups. We could have won the Champions League, as ridiculous as it sounds. But I think the risk obviously is spending too much. And Dave, I think this takes me nicely onto you. I think you probably have quite a good cautionary tale for us because I've heard a few people suggest that the risk is that we, and please forgive the expression, that we do a Leeds 
And of course, we all know what happened back in sort of 2001 onwards when you had all the loans taken out on the back of a pretty good spell when you were in a fairly similar position to where Spurs have been in the last few years. And obviously, we saw how it all went wrong. Can you take us through your account of it just so that we can kind of see if there are any kind of lessons to be learned? Is there a risk when it comes to overspending and overcommitting on the financial side? Yes, I will gladly relive this nightmare. So, long story short, obviously we overspent in the uh, in the Ridsdale era. Ridsdale, Peter Ridsdale is still involved in football at Amazing. the moment, by the way, which obviously makes a lot of mm. sense. Essentially, he gambled all of our future, basically, on the fact that we would make the Champions League, and we didn't. Roll on administrators, roll on an LUC fans consortium, roll on lots of administrations further down the line, and then being picked up by Ken Bates, who... You know, arguably, when he joined our club, he was heralded as a man that is saving the club. Mm. You know, there's no two ways about it. He had Chelsea connections and we didn't like it. And he was, you know, uh, not a particularly pleasant man. But ultimately, you know, he was better than what we had, or so we thought. I mean, it was an awful time to be a Leeds fan. Don't get me wrong, there were other, other teams who have had way worse. And through that period, you know, the resentment of the fans grew, the general frustration at not just the results not just Bates himself but the general lack of investment everywhere like we closed parts of Thorpe Arch we drained the swimming pool we shut down large percentages of our staff and lots of people lost jobs then when it came to the point where Bates looked like he was going to sell we were all thrilled and we were thrilled that it wasn't Bates. Anyone but yeah. Bates was... How much worse could it get? A common phrase. Yeah. Exactly. And we'd heard rumours of takeovers, but quite frankly, we'd also heard people saying that I was interested, but I couldn't deal with Ken Bates. Mm. And, you know, takeover my arse, T-O-M-A, Toma, <laughs> started doing the rounds. And I think we were up to about Toma 6 when we got to Gulf Financial House, which sounds like, you know... Sounds like they've just bought, bought another <laughs> team. But alas, yeah. it was very much the grass was not mm. greener. And they were very much only interested in flipping us and doing what they could to ultimately make a bit of money out of us. And then they weren't doing anything. They weren't pushing us forwards. They weren't giving, they weren't investing in the team anywhere near the amount that we needed. And then we sold it to somebody else. And his name was Massimo Cellino. And he was arguably the craziest man in the history of football. I think he still is. Mm. Um, Isn't he in prison? Famously sacked Brian McDermott before he took charge, uh, before he took ownership of the club and was chased around Ellen Road in a taxi on his first <laughs> night. It's just, it, it's, it's unreal. And they need to make some kind of biopic of his life because I can only imagine it would be incredible. It seems like a bad movie, some of the stuff that happened in that period. Well, yeah, you know, refused to let there be a number 17 in the squad, refused to let there be a row 17 in the stadium okay. because of superstition, didn't like purple, got a priest to bless every corner of the uh, stadium. I mean, th that's only what we know and I can only assume. Oh, best mates with Vern Troyer, obvs. <laughs> and, and he came in and and it was just calamitous you know we went from gfh under gfh we weren't going anywhere but we weren't going anywhere down as well as up whereas chilena it honestly felt like anything could happen and and it was awful and it was and it was painful and we just wanted something else and then i don't know if it was by luck or by judgment but andre rajazani our now chairman was at a dinner a real savior he was at a dinner with um with a lot of football players and i think it was kenny dalgleish that he spoke to and uh he said, I'm looking to invest, and, and he just said, put your money in Leeds. And obviously he looked into it, he decided that Chilino wasn't too insane and that he could actually do some business with him. And fortunately, the rest is what has happened in the last four years. Made a couple of mistakes, but everybody makes mistakes, but learnt from the mistakes. 
um, decided to commit some serious money in, in Bielsa and um, and we are where we are now, yeah. which is which is incredible and it's where we wanted to be. It's, it's good to see. Yeah, it's well, it, well, it's good to yeah. be back, Dax. But at the same time, I think Caution Tail, yes, completely different place. Mm. Also, yes, you know, we were we certainly didn't have the non-football revenues. Yeah, as they it call is them, a different that, that you guys currently have. It's a different situation, but at the same time the situation could change really quickly. And I think that's the key thing here mm. is the fact that, you know, Enoch out means someone else in and you don't know who that is right now and you don't know who it could be. Now, I don't want, I don't know if we want to talk about Newcastle in any more depth, but we'll get you know, them, every yeah. time I see it, every time I see it, I think if Newcastle wins some trophies in the next five years, any Newcastle fan, I'm sure they'll be happy, but uh, some, some part of them will go, at what cost? <laughs> so, was this worth yeah, it? I was speaking with a Newcastle fan earlier today, and it was a it was just a business conversation, and it delved onto football because I used a, a silly football metaphor to to describe a certain situation, and only then afterwards thought to check that this person actually liked football and understood what the hell I was on about. So we need to hear that at some point. So uh, <laughs> I found out that he supports Newcastle and he's very, very conflicted because on the one hand, there's the massive relief that Mike Ashley is gone. The cause for celebration for them or for him anyway, isn't the fact that they've the got billions. billionaire owners in. Yeah. It's the fact that Mike Ashley is gone, but he started off by saying he was torn, but he finished off by saying, well, actually, I'm not torn. I, I love Newcastle and my, my club. They'll always will be, but I, I, I wish we hadn't been bought with blood money, essentially. Yeah. And, and this, is, this isn't this is how, how I want to do things. And uh, and then I asked, so are you, are you still going to go? And he said, well, yeah, I am still going to go, but I've also already started several direct debits to, to various humanitarian charities to, <laughs> to try and to make it. peace yeah. with my soul um so i'm not sure morality quite works like that but mm, uh but i, I don't forget just the weird scenes that you're seeing on sky tv and that talk sport and uh showing and whatever you read in like the the red top pages like that's all sensationalist stuff driven to sort of sell 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 this is a fairly reasonable bloke and just a run-of-the-mill guy like any of us who is a football fan and he was nowhere near as thrilled as you'd expect someone whose club had just been bought by a billionaire to be. And I, I think that that says says it all with them. Um, so, mm. so we'll see how it unfolds. I don't think they'll enjoy their success as much as they would have if we get success the way we've been trying to. It's kind of a case of be careful what you wish for, really, isn't it? I think we've we've just heard about the two most extreme examples, and one being the Leeds situation, which, again, Dave, I'm sorry for having to make you relive that, but I guess that's it's probably not going to happen. I mean, maybe in the 90s under Alan Sugar, we had points docked and we had a similar situation, and perhaps it could have happened then, but yeah, probably we're secure enough now. And you might be able to say thanks to Enoch to a degree for getting us to that point. Uh, and then that's obviously the other extreme is we, we get bought out by the devil. Yeah. essentially uh, and you know do we want that I mean Joe you've been quite quiet for a while I feel like I've been neglecting you over there so I want to make sure you're still with us but um, how would you feel if Spurs were suddenly bought out by oil baron billionaires that were morally bankrupt and publicly beheading people and uh, killing journalists yeah yeah and all that lovely stuff yeah I mean would you still Allegedly. be able to support Spurs would you still go to games yeah I mean I've got to be honest you, you would be excited if you heard billionaire owners taken over your club because you know what that means 
Mm. You know that that probably means you're going to see the world's best players. Five to ten years. Yeah, in, in five to you're ten gonna years, be, you're going to be big time. A, a very competitive club in the Champions League. Um, but to, you know, to be fair, Daniel Levy and, and Joe Lewis already are extremely wealthy billionaires, so it's not like. And do you really get that rich playing it? <laughs> yeah. How much do we really know? About so I, 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 these guys. I got to be honest. I, I can understand why Newcastle fans are super happy because, like Elio says, just Mike Ashley leaving is cause for celebration. Like all the other nineteen like clubs fans are happy for Newcastle fans because. Like everyone feels yeah. sorry for them because of how horrible Mike Ashley is as a as a club owner, but um, yeah, it's I don't know. It's, you know, Roman Abramovich was kind of an interesting character when he came into the game, and I think it's brought so much more scrutiny over the last fifteen yeah. years about these people. You know, and you've already got it with yeah. uh, you know with, with Abu Dhabi and Qatar owners coming into to various clubs um, like the you know the two richest clubs in Europe. Well, they were the two richest yeah. clubs in Europe. Abramovich looks like Jesus compared to some of these new. He, he really does. He's he he goes completely under the radar now, which is probably where he wants <laughs> to be. So I mean, I would be conflicted, but I got to be honest. There is a part of me that is a. It, I am a little bit jealous of Newcastle because <laughs> the money that is being talked about that that could be you know be coming into the club is it's ridiculous. Like it, it makes the Abu Dhabi owners look relatively poor, and yeah. that would excite me yeah. as a fan if I'm completely honest. They still have to convince players to actually go and live in Newcastle where they have <laughs> year high temperatures of three degrees and almost everybody is topless at all times. And That's not sadly, a good thing. that also means the obese drunk men <laughs> as well. So we have any there is that. Good kebabs though, I've yeah. heard. I, I, that, that, that's it's a cracking night out. Yeah, yeah. Tottenham, though, because of where Tottenham are, we've always got this structural advantage being a London club because it is mm. like London does attract you know, top quality players. So that's always... Don't show the players Tottenham itself. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, maybe not, maybe not Seven Sisters precisely, but yeah, yeah, you know. Young footballer with supermodel girlfriends. Is he going to try and convince her to move to Gateshead or to Hampstead? Not even anywhere near that's remotely fashionable or or kind of attractive, is there really? You could say that about most clubs though, couldn't you? Because even Rome Stadium is quite a a rough part of Rome, which... You don't think Rome is a rough place at all, but that's not a safe area to walk around at night by the stadium. Yeah, I mean, we're at risk of verging into a different topic altogether, but I, I think it, it's hard to draw a line when it comes to the whole morality thing because, I mean, at the end of the day, we're, we're all putting money into Rupert Murdoch's pocket every month, aren't we, when we're, we're subscribing to watch our, our team on Sky Sports. And it, it, it's difficult because there's so many fingers and so many pies and so many different people involved in football. Where, where do you stop? And at a certain point, you have to just separate yourself out for it and saying, I love the club. I don't love the owners. They're nothing to do with me. I, I'm concerned with what they're doing. But maybe I just have to focus on the players who are. There is a hypocrisy element, um, absolutely. It's hard to avoid, but isn't it? but it is hard to avoid. At the same time, uh, I think for all their sins, Rupert Murdoch hasn't put anybody to death for homosexuality. So not as far as we there's know. a start. As far as we know, anyway. Yeah, I am no lover of Sky, but I do willingly give them my money every single month, despite criticising them relentlessly. So I don't want to throw stones in glass houses here. But I think you look at the morality debates. You look at the fact that these owners were rejected by the Premier League. These bastions of justice and 
these lovers of the the working man and their rights to football who mm. who stood up to the evil ESL six and all that rubbish. But they turned down this takeover of Newcastle initially because of a pirate TV radio station that wasn't being dealt with over in Saudi Arabia, <laughs> which was ta- which was showing B in sports matches illegally and streaming them across the world. So it shows that ultimately there's no morals there either. The Premier League mm. literally let them back in because they made their Saudi Arabian broadcasting partner happy and got rid of a pirate station. Otherwise, they weren't being allowed in. And when you look at something like that, it just it kind of makes you sick that we've all kind of drunk the Kool-Aid and gone along for this ride. To, yeah. uh, it's been gradual though, hasn't it? You know, we've been slowly accustomed to it and just had to accept it over years. Oh, it's absolutely. It's just been thrown in our faces. Otherwise, I don't think people would have accepted it. You never realise you're sick until one day you have to go to the doctor and you're told you've got to do something about this. I mean, we're talking about a country where Richard Keyes and Andy Gray have been given a job. I mean, that's, that says it all, doesn't it? For the only country that would have them. And that's regardless of any comments they have made. They're just rubbish presenters. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Dave, would you still go to games if, if Leeds were taken over by essentially Saudi Arabia? Would you still be thinking about going to games? It's a difficult one, isn't it? It is a difficult one. I mean, I don't know. I think, um, I mean, I don't go to many games. Well, we're, we're in so. hypothetical. <laughs> this is easy. You're it's easy for me to say no. By billionaires just yet, so. Yeah. yeah, and it's not happening, but I'd have to think about it very carefully. I don't know. It's such a tricky one. Rodrizani is not the most clean man in the world, it's worth saying. None, I mean, None of these owners are, surely. Mm-hmm. Just before we, we hired Bielsa, we went on a post-season tour of Myanmar for a couple of games. And it was interesting because the reaction from the Leeds fan base was, that was a bit of a dig move, wasn't it, Andrea? And that was kind of where it ended. And we kind of moved on because, well, two months later, he hired Bielsa and the rest is history. But, yeah. you know, everybody's guilty of something. Uh, and I think we need to... Um, we need to be aware of it and we need to factor it into our thinking, but yeah. how much it should change the way that we enjoy a sport that we love, which yeah. is just some guys kicking a ball around, it's so difficult. That's the way I look at it. I mean, maybe it's burying my head in the sand a little bit, but I just think I love watching football and I try not to think too much about what's happening behind the scenes. I try not to think about the fact that these guys are getting paid obscene money. I don't really care what they get up to in their personal lives to a degree and I'm not going to think too much about what's happening in the higher-ups either. I just want to watch football and if that involves spending money, then so be it. And if you start drawing lines at where your money goes, not knowing really where your money ultimately goes, then you know you run into all kinds of inconsistencies and hypocrisy. So that's the way I would justify it. But thankfully, whatever we might say about our owners, they're not quite that reprehensible as things stand. So we'll uh, we'll make do with what we've got, and I suppose be be grateful in that way. Um, Joe, how good do you think Newcastle are going to be, and how quickly do you think they'll be competing for honours? Uh, probably not very quickly because. Hopefully oh, after yeah, the weekend, yeah, right? Precisely, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hopefully not in the next few days. Um, mm. They've already said that. Is it Amanda Staveley, the the sort of the, the face of the, the new investment? The terrifying looking woman. <laughs> yeah. um, it looks like she's been sent from another planet. She's made it clear that this is like they're focusing on infrastructure first, which is interesting based on what we were talking about in terms of the twenty years mm. of Enoch and financial fair play. 
I know we all find it a bit laughable, but there is, you know, it has got teeth to it. So they can't just go in and spend half a billion pounds on players. So I, I think it is going to be the 2020s will be the rise of Newcastle, but I doubt they'll be winning much before the end of the decade. It took Man City long enough to really start competing. And, and they still haven't won the Champions League. They still haven't, no. Uh, but the prob- Newcastle could get relegated this season. Yeah. Because they are in a relegation battle. They're yet to win a game. By the time the January transfer window has come along, which players, no matter what money is thrown at it, are going to come in to try and save a team that they may well go down with and have that on That's their career risk. That's a real the risk. Rest of their career. And imagine if that happens and we have the world's richest club mucking it out with Millwall next season. <laughs> And Bristol City. Do you think the owners are rich enough to change the weather? They have the technology to make it sunny in Newcastle. What, so they don't have to play on a cold night instead? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Well, very interesting to see what happens there. Obviously, our next opponents, how do we see that game going? I mean, you said they might get relegated. Do you think that we'll hop with that? We do very badly at St. James's Park. The year that we finished third in a two-horse race, we lost by... Was it five or six? It was was an incredibly poor result with Sissoko running the midfield against us, which tells you how bad we were. That's our transfer policy. That's probably why we bought him on the basis of that game alone. That and his freak performances at the Euros, yeah. yeah. And we just don't like going up to the northeast. We never have. But this is a really, really bad side. I look at their side and I can't see one player that I'd even want in our squad. I'd even want in our reserves. I mean, apart from St. Maximin. You said uh, the exact so... same thing about Arsenal. I can't even see one person apart from that one person. <laughs> <laughs> you, you said the same thing about Arsenal before we played them. I should win. I did. And, listen, and I also said at that point, football's not played on paper. And if it was, then it would be much simpler. So... Mm. I, I look at them and I, I just... They win if we are shocking. Now, we have every chance of being shocking, given that we have already been shocking this season on more than one occasion. But if we play even 75% as well as we did against Villa the other day, we should beat them. I mean, this isn't any disrespect for Newcastle, but there's a reason why they're all ecstatic about Mike Ashley leaving and turning a blind eye to this murderous regime that's bought them. And the reason for that is that their squad has been left to go stale to an unbelievable extent. I mean, they're incredibly bad. I don't know how they survived in this league last season, to tell you the truth. Well, yeah, you're giving me some absolute gold here to put together in the intro for next week's episode if we go on and lose. <laughs> this is going to look really, really bad. But I obviously hope you're right. And I think it's probably fair to say that we should, should be beating Newcastle. But uh, let's hope those words don't come back to bite me. And uh, on the discussion on, on Enoch and Newcastle and everything else, of course, it, it's such a nuanced discussion. There are so many factors to it and everyone has a different opinion. And it's not something that we can really do justice in an hour, hour and a half of, of talking. And I think we could probably sit here and talk about it for, for several hours. And many people have. So um, apologies if we didn't get to go into quite as much detail as we could have done. But nevertheless, we would like to hear your thoughts. So if you have any thoughts, as I know many of you do, very strong thoughts on Enoch, on, on Daniel Levy, on Joe Lewis, on, on Tottenham's future and our strategy and our direction. We would love to hear from you. Please get in touch. Our social media accounts are at Plus Day Podcast on both Instagram and Twitter. And if you'd like to email us instead, you can do so at plusdaypodcast at gmail.com. Sean Longstaff has played every Newcastle match this season. (laughs) Here we are every week wondering whether or not we need to fit in Ndombele or Hoibia or La Celso or Deli Alli or or Skip even. And they're playing Sean bloody Longstaff every single match. 
Isn't he like the second best Longstaff? Yes, I think he is. Yeah, that's so, the title of this episode, uh, surely. I'm not even upset that you cut me off. <laughs> Sean bloody Longstaff. Yeah, that was genius. That was hilarious. Elio, I'm sure we'll have plenty of time to talk about how terrible Newcastle's players are next week after they've beaten us. I hope so. Now, okay, so let's, let's, let's save it for them. We've got to get moving on because we, we've, we've been talking for a fair amount of time. But as I said, please get in touch with us and we'll hopefully have some interesting comments to read out next week as well. So moving on to the next portion of our show. Elio, you're going to be delighted to hear that the next stage of our show is Challenge Elio. Challenge Elio is a section we do at the end of every episode where we challenge Elio with trivia questions generally relating to Spurs and the competition is Elio against everyone else so if he doesn't know the questions everyone else has a chance to clean up and sweep up the points and so far he's been doing quite well which everyone's very upset about we're hoping to try and redress the balance very soon so if you do have any questions please send them in as I mentioned earlier at Plus Day Podcast both Twitter and Instagram please send those in so we can try and trip him up this isn't an official challenge Elio question but would you care to venture a guess as to how far ahead you are in this season of Challenge Elio after five episodes because I actually took the time to go through our previous episodes earlier and counted up the score. Okay. I should tell you that I gave Dave five bonus points for getting the Ronnie Rosenthal question last week which I don't think anyone would argue with because he deserved them and the team needs them but as I said Elio you're winning I'm going to tell you that you knew you were winning but can you guess by how much I mean I can tell you there are 73 points in total between the two teams. How many of those points do you think you have and how many do you think the rest of the team has? I'm going to go with um, a conservative 20-point lead. See, now I'm annoyed that you've basically nailed that. (laughs) 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 You've basically got that spot on yet where you're 19 points clear. Yeah, it's it's. it's so do I win this week now that as well? No, do you, I get you don't get any for points for that. So I'm going to deduct points for you being so smug. Now you're you're 46, 27 ahead as things stand. Although my maths has been wrong before, so uh, let, let's hope that's right. I'm also keeping a track of who on the other team gets points each week, just so that at the end of the season or at any given point, I can say how many points everyone got. And you'll be interested to hear that in last week's episode, I think Dave is probably Dave, the leader. Dave got as many points as you did last week i did give him five gratuitous bonus points for the ronnie rosenthal mm. but he did very well and he is he is absolutely leading considering he is the only non-spurs fan in the group he's doing very very well well look let's move on to challenge earlier this week and guys you've heard the scores now okay there's only two of you this week so the pressure's on but i'm going to try and be generous i'm going to try and give elio very little time and give you guys loads of time which i always do <laughs> sounds great mm. i'm going to start off as i usually do with a kind of quick question this is, is it sean longstaff no the answer is not sean longstaff but i'm going to accept that as your first answer no uh, the question is and it's a spurs newcastle related question can you name the two former spurs players that have managed newcastle chris hewton and joe Kinnear. I'm going to have to find some harder questions, aren't I, guys? This is bad. I mean, that's all in recent history. Well, you know, I always start off easy and they, they do get a little bit a little bit trickier. Moving on to the next one. The next question actually is not related to Spurs. I'm switching things up a little bit this week. And of course, because we've been talking about money and rich football clubs and all the money in football, I've decided to change things up a little bit. Instead of just giving you a free reign to go and name all these players, I want to alternate. And whenever somebody gets one wrong, it jumps back across. You get a go each. So you'll have a go, then Joe and Dave will have a go. And we'll bounce back and we'll keep scores up. So I want you guys to try and name, according to Forbes, the 10 highest earning footballers this year. And that includes all endorsements and sponsorships and everything in their personal lives. The 10 highest earning footballers this year. Who's going first? You can go first, Ali. I'll let you go first at least. Do I have to do it in order or not? No, just one of the top 10. 
Okay. Um, you can go with the I obvious think, one. I think a fairly it. obvious one is Messi. Messi is correct. Dave and Joe, give me a name. Go for Ronaldo, I guess. <laughs> yes, Ronaldo. Ronaldo is correct. The first few are going to be pretty easy, I think. It does get a bit trickier towards the end, though, I think. I bet there's some weird ones in there. Elio, who's your next name? We have to be snappy with this one. We've had Ronaldo and Messi. I wonder which one of them is top. Sticking with PSG, I'm going to go with Mbappe. Mbappe is correct. Dave, do you want to go with Neymar? The, the other obvious one. Yep. <laughs> that was the other Neymar one. Neymar is great. We've named the top four. Yeah. We've done the top we just, four. We've got those out of the way. Yeah, we've got those out of the way. I mean, they're still relatively obvious when you see them, but I'm not sure how obvious they are when you're just trying to mm. think of them because there are probably quite a few that are on the fringes. Okay. Based yeah. on how much he was earning just from us with us paying 40% of his salary... I'm going to have a stab at Gareth Bale being up there because I think he was on something mental like 600 grand a week. Gareth Bale is number nine. He is in there. Okay. Well he's, he's in the top 10 golfers as well. <laughs> um, Any ideas, Joe? The first name that comes to my mind is maybe Sergio Ramos. We're sticking with PSG. Is that a final answer? Just thinking, yeah. Off- Does it factor in his PSG contract? Is it up to date or is it from well, the I end mean, of last we, season? You know, I've got a shaky record with this. Now, this article was printed 22nd of September 21. So this is recent. Because mm. he must be so, so he must be so bankable still off the back of his career at Real Madrid. I would have thought he's still getting stupid amount of sponsorships. Okay, need an answer quickly, guys. I think we might be nearly out of sponsorships. To be honest, I think we just might be focusing on big wages now. Who's playing in China at the moment? Probably Hulk. Question. <laughs> I bet Hulk is in there. <laughs> no, Hulk's, Hulk doesn't Hulk play up, up front with some other absolute legendary striker in Brazil at the moment. Anyway, I was thinking of. Um, Based on salary, purely based on salary, I was thinking of De Gea. I, was, I mean, Man United's going to be a good place to go. I'm going to need an official answer from you well, guys. Come well, on. I, I, I would probably rather Elio's go... getting upset I'd rather go time for you're being given. You've given him a lot of time. Pogba must be on more than De Gea, I would have thought. Remember, it's endorsements as well, um, and Pogba yeah. does have a lot of endorsements. Elio, why are you trying to help them? Or are you not? Is this mind games again? Uh, I'm a nice guy. What's your answer, guys? Should we go yeah, for go, go for Pogba. Yeah. Pogba's correct. Pogba is number eight. Well, I did give him a hand. Not really. We've done six. There are four left. You sound left. surprised as if you were trying to <laughs> sabotage us. There are four left. I'm not going to give you any clues. I don't think you need clues at this stage. This is something that I read recently, and I'm not sure how true it is or not, because it's just something another fan wrote on a forum. But it kind of justifies why, at his age, he's still even playing football, to tell you the truth. And it only twigs in my mind because Dave went and said who's playing in China a minute ago. Not in China, but out east in Japan is um, Andes Iniesta, who I hope he's in the top 10. Oh, I, I, think he, I think he was earning something ridiculous, like just over 30 million just from his salary or something crazy like that. So I'm going to go with Iniesta. Andres Iniesta is number seven on the list. Wow. <laughs> Playing for Vissel Kobe on a total of $35 million. That's a so good... I didn't think that Japan, yeah, paid that well, to be honest with you. I thought that was a more mature market. No. I mean, he deserves it, doesn't he? He could be 40 and he'll still be the best player hey. in the league. <laughs> so, that is True. correct. We have another three in the list. Dave, what do you think of someone like KDB or Lewandowski, two top 10 players, will they be on top 10 income? I don't think either of them get paid as much as De Gea. You're really doubling down on De Gea. I think De Gea gets paid more. I mean, I'm happy. You're so resolute. I'm happy to go for De Gea. I think De Gea might get paid more than everybody in the Premier League, apart from Ronaldo. All right. If you're that confident, let's go with De Gea. Yeah. David De Gea 
is not on the list. He could be 11th for all I know, but then he goes down to 10. Okay, well, I'm going to go with someone Joe just said because I'm pretty sure he, he earns a lot from endorsements because he's by far the biggest player in the country he plays in and say Lewandowski. I love how Leo keeps us in suspense before giving the answer and builds it up. Lewandowski's correct, number six. Very well done. Excellent. Keeps everyone in suspense before plagiarism. (laughs) Dave, you did so well last week. You might have just tanked this round for the non-Elio team. Yeah, I'm going to keep quiet now. We have two left, if I'm counting correctly. Neither of them are particularly obscure. Yeah, when you said they were somewhat obvious, I wondered if it might be Kevin De Bruyne just because... Isn't that? I still feel like Sergio Ramos is going to be just bringing the money in through sponsorship deals. I know it's a bit of a gamble. You going to go for it? Should we go for it? Go on, Sergio. I've, Sergio I've been Ramos. wrong before. <laughs> Sergio Ramos is not on the list. Oof. I mean, he's not playing, so. But then neither is Gareth Bale. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that doesn't stop you getting paid. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we need two more. We need number five, and we need number ten. We're taking endorsements into it as well, aren't we? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to go with Eden Hazard. Number 10, well done. I'm surprised by that. We've got one more. Dave, I was just thinking, do we go someone like Lukaku based on how high profile he is? And, and this, is for fi- this is fifth position, is it, Dags? This is fifth position, yep. Fifth. He's, so in between yeah. Mbappe and Lewandowski. Do we think Chelsea put them on crazy money? I really don't remember what kind of salary no. was being banded about. He, he, he definitely... I mean, I hate to go back to this, but I, I, I always remember that David De Gea is paid insane money and there's no way <laughs> that Lukaku is paid as much as David De Gea. So unless Lukaku is raking in the, uh, the endorsements, mm-hmm. I only, my only thought is to think that it's a large percentage endorsements. And if it's a large percentage endorsements, then who could it be? It's not any of the players that we've got that we've already talked about. Maybe it's an Asian player or a player in Asia or a player famous in Asia or maybe a different, maybe another continent, Americas, Africa. I don't know. Like Song Hyun Ming. I think you're going on the right lines in terms of talking about endorsements. It's certainly, you know, a fan favourite for the club. I don't know. Not that that Is Totti still being paid by Roma? (laughs) (laughs) I think think he's finally. He's got got a a nice nice little pension from Roma. Can we have a clue? I thought I just gave you a clue, didn't I? You know what? I'm going to open it up to you as well, Elio, because these guys are taking too long. I actually know this one, and I saved this deliberately for the end because I knew it, because I heard on the radio when you they were discussing right his current contract negotiations and how they're going nowhere, <laughs> that they were criticising him as already being pretty much the highest earner in the league apart from Ronaldo, and that is um, one Mohamed Salah. And David De Gea. <laughs> Dave, give up on it. Giggling salary. It is Mohamed Salah. Mohamed Salah is the correct answer in number five. So we have Ronaldo, Messi, Neymar, Mbappe, Salah, Lewandowski, Iniesta, Pogba, Bale, Hazard, in that order. So all very, very rich men, but nowhere near as rich as Newcastle's new owners. So it all puts it Mm -hmm. into perspective, doesn't it? Moving on to the next question. And I think Elio just about uh, nicked that one in the end. Definitely got more points. I'll add them up this time and keep them on a running score. Staying with the theme of obscene amounts of money in football i would like you elio i'm going i like this format i'm going to go back and forth on this because i think it's fairer to be honest with you and elio need we we need to give him a bit of a handicap because he's doing too well go back and forth but you can go first can you name tottenham's top 10 transfer fees paid the actual fees not the players no just the players not the fees because the fees are always subject to different interpretation this is according to in case you question my sources this is according to transfer marked 
Okay. So this is no, the alleged this is, fees that were paid for the players. The top 10. This is who we've bought. Who we've bought. Are we counting Romero as a fee already committed or currently is he just on loan? I'll give you this for free. He's not on the list. Okay, fair enough. In that case, I'm going to start off with the obvious one and say Ndombele. Ndombele is obviously correct. Uh, should, should we just go for Sanchez, Dave? Yep. Sanchez is right. Number two. Well done. Elio. Giovanni Lo Celso. Correct. In at number four, according to this list. How much was Lamella? Can't tell you that or you'll... Uh, <laughs> I'm you'll talking to Joe. I, <laughs> I, I, I can't remember. Lamella doesn't jump out that he would necessarily be in the top ten now. Um, he was our regular. I, think he was, I think he was a lot. Was he? A record at the time. I mean, Lamella probably is on the list in that case. We're not going, going for Lamella? Bank that many times. Yeah, well, let's go for Lamella. Lamella's on the list. Nice one, Dave. He is number eight. Yeah. About 30 million. 27, according to this. Oh, that's more than million. I remember. Okay. Yeah, it was a record, record signing in 2013, wasn't he? For a time. And I'm going to go with O. Musa Sissoko. Number three on the list. Hmm. What does that say yeah, about, about our board and its decisions? Our top three, all midfielders, Sissoko and Dombele and La Celso. Yeah. We, we don't have time to get into that, but yeah. We should, we should reopen the Enoch debate. <laughs> <laughs> this is it. We're making a case just by reeling off these players. I'm thinking of um, our new players, because I'm trying to think if Royal, Emerson and uh, you know, Gilles would be on there. Royal was about 22 million. Gilles, I think, was about 25, but I'm not sure if that's including that, Lamella or not. I'm guessing that in the 20s, that will be our top 10. So I, I'm ha- I, was gonna th- I was thinking Emerson might well be in there. Do you wanna, are you happy with that, Dave? Or you think of someone a bit more of a safer bet? Yeah, let's go with him. All right, Emerson then. Emerson is number 13. He just misses oh. out. Not a bad guess, though, but not on the list. Elio. Chance, chance it's to expensive list. storm ahead. It is two wingers. I'm, this is all based on reports. I don't know who cost more, but I'm going to pick one. I'm going to go with um, Lucas Mora. Just makes it in number ten, twenty-five point five six million. How much? How much sources. was Emerson? Uh, Twenty-two point five. So there's not oh, much. Kidding in it. me? It was close. It was close. And to be honest, uh, they may well be the other way around. In reality, we never know, do we? But I, I've yes, got my sources. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, I'm thinking maybe go with Brian, Brian Hill. It's going to be in around there, I would have thought. I need some confirmation that that's let's, a final let's go with Let's go with Hill. Number 12. Just misses out as well. <laughs> 22.5 million. Apparently. We are peppering. I don't know how much of that <laughs> is up front. Come on, guys. I made the rules easier for you. It's two against one. It's probably two against one now. Elio, who's your next guest? Once again, I never know based on reported fees versus actual, but I'm going to have a stab at Son Min. Son Heung-min is in the list. He's number nine, apparently 27 million, which is a pretty damn good bargain, if I may say so. <laughs> Can't think of many better better acquisitions than that. Hmm. Son is correct. Good news is that David Bentley's no longer our record signing. <laughs> He's languishing down at number 17. So. How much did you pay for Bergvine, Joe? Oh, Bergvine's a great shout. He'll be in the 20s. Let's go. Oh, we'll get 11 He'll then. 11. So let's, yeah. let's complete, complete the set. Bergvine 11th. Stephen That's our final answer. You can't guess 11th. Are you actually going for Bergwijn as a guest? Yeah, go on. we'll go for Bergwijn. Yeah. Bergwijn yeah. is number five. Yeah. Bergwijn's wow. 27 million. Yeah. Easy oh, money. Is this grouping of players? This is ridiculous. Mm. That's Levy's sweet, sweet spot, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> this wasn't supposed to be an indictment of our board reading these off, but it does start to sound that way a little bit, doesn't it? And, and I can tell you, number six, number six and number seven don't make it much better. Oh, God. Roberto Soldado. <laughs> Correct. 27 million of him. Oh my uh, God. In fairness, though, 
you, Elio, I'll hold you to this. You said we should sign him at the time. Yeah, long before we were linked. I thought he was going to be a game changer for us. So many of these brilliant. names, I thought we paid about 15 million for. <laughs> no, this was the, the bail summer, wasn't it? That, that one, yeah. so... That's what I'm thinking. And it was off the back of him being the the best, the next best striker in Spain after Ronaldo and Messi. That was the tagline. So yeah, didn't last. We underestimated how bad Spanish defenders are. We have one more. I'll give you a clue. We have one more, and I'm going to throw it out to everyone. So just shout out if you think you know it. Spanish defenders, Reguilón. Ah, Reguilón. Yeah, that's it. Correct. Reguilón. Oh, well is done, Dave. The right answer. Cheers, Elliot. We, we always forget about Reguilón. Every we episode. do, yeah. We, have, <laughs> we didn't even talk about him in the last game. You should yeah. rename this the Plus Sergio podcast. <laughs> Minus Sergio. I should get double points. I should get double points whenever I get anything right. I did think early when I was counting up the scores if I should just generally give you double points whenever you get one right. In which case, we might have to recalculate. <laughs> also, doubling your five bonus points for the Rosenthal one last week. I think we might have to. Brilliant. Well, look, the final question, guys. We're almost there. I've got one more question for you, and it's a it's a repeats round of a previous question that we've had. And this is the Who Am I game, because I know how much you guys loved it last time, and, and I know how much you loved the research I did and getting all my stats and figures correct. So, as before, this time we're going to go back and forth. I'm going to ask you to give me a number between one and six, and I will read out the corresponding facts about this player. And I should say, this is a player who's played for Spurs. And I want you to try and guess who it is. So, Elio, I will allow you to give me the first number and get the first clue. I'm going to go with clue number four. Clue number four. I won Young Player of the Year. Deli Alley. No. <laughs> Guys, give me a number. Two. I scored 10 goals in 57 appearances for my country. Glenn Hoddle. It's their guess, but no. Any guess? Uh, we can move it on. Uh, and start shouting out random Spurs players. <laughs> uh, yeah, go on. Uh, move, move it on. Elio, give me a number. We've had, we've had two and. Four. Did they not even guess at that? No, don't know the answer. Fair no, enough. they're not ambitious. They're like our board. Number one. Number one. I've played for five Premier League clubs. <laughs> I will say that one might actually throw you off a bit because that surprised me. The question is, did he win Young Player of the Year when he played for us or not? There's no harm in making a guess. It passes over either way. Jermaine Genus. No. Yeah, he didn't score 10 goals for his country. What am I thinking? <laughs> Guys, we have three, five, and six left. Which one would you like? Uh, three. Three. Mm, this one, this one could, could decide it. I have played in England, Italy, China, and Scotland. China? Yeah, that's another one that threw me a little bit. Italy? Hmm. <laughs> uh... It's all sounding rather random at the moment, isn't it? Um, yeah. is this, this is such a random guess. Go on. But it is Tottenham related. It's not going to be right. It's not Joe Jordan, is it? No. Because he Elio. played in all those countries, Elio, you I'm can pretty have, sure. You can have five Joe or Jordan six. played in China? I think he might have done. There are a couple of clues here that I think will make it hard. <laughs> Elio, five or six? Uh, six. Six. I played in a World Cup semi-final. That's not helping at all. You're probably now starting to think if I actually got these all wrong and this is actually completely... <laughs> just made them up. This player doesn't exist. It's all a troll. <laughs> World Cup semi-final. God, this is, this is 
very, I'm, very I'm about to load up his Wikipedia just so I can get backup clues in case number five doesn't help. England, Italy, Scotland and China, you say as well? Yep. World Cup semi-finalists. I also need to find the Wikipedia entry just to back up my stats as well. Nah, I, I, I haven't got the foggiest. All right, guys, question number five. I'm not sure how much this one will help, but it's a funny one. Uh, Jose Mourinho called him the true special one. What are we talking about? It's Gaza. It is Gaza. <laughs> it's Paul Gascoigne. Congratulations. That's 100 points for Dave. Well done. <laughs> Gaza, he played for Gansu Tianma in 2003 in China. Bloody hell. He, uh, he obviously played for Rangers and uh, Lazio. Um, he played for uh, Middlesbrough, Everton and Burnley, as well as obviously Spurs and Newcastle. Yeah. He won Young Player of the Year. He also won Goal of the Season. I was going to throw that in there, but I thought that might be, might be too, too obvious. But yeah, Gaza. Um, well done, Dave. Well done, Dave. Well done, Dave. For a second Thanks. week running, you've, uh, you've, you've come out and given Eddie a real, real game. So uh, very, very impressed. In the end. It's the China thing that I just mm. couldn't get to grips with. It makes you think of a recent player, doesn't it? Because you think it's someone who yeah. got old and went there for the payday, whereas he just got old. <laughs> um, but yeah, but no, uh, I, I thought Gaza was one, given that it was Newcastle Spurs, I thought I'd try and find somebody that was uh, related to both clubs. And I didn't want to do Ginola because I figured you've probably read his autobiography back to front earlier, so it'd be too easy. Um, so yeah, Paul Gascoigne is the right answer. And sadly, that probably takes us to the end of this episode. And I think that's probably all we had time for, as much as we'd love to carry on talking about Gaza and uh, talking about Enoch and everything. Join us next week after we will be reviewing the Newcastle game and hopefully coming away with a win and Elio won't have to eat his words. Sean Longstaff screamer. <laughs> exactly. It's all the stage is Put set. Put your money on. The stage is set for a Sean Longstaff screamer to win it at the depth. So if you have any thoughts on anything we discussed today or any thoughts in general on Spurs, anything you'd like us to discuss, please get in touch. For the last time, our details are at Plus Day Podcast on both Twitter and Instagram. You can email us at Plus Day Podcast at gmail.com you can also join our fpl league which is jb3psv the code and you can try and um, knock us off actually joe how are you doing in your middle eastern random spurs fan league that you joined by accident are you top uh, well we haven't played since uh, our last podcast episode because of the international break but i'm, I'm third out of you're 20. third yeah, yeah. Oh, okay i don't know how to get out of it i don't want to be in it um but i don't know how do to you think leave. it is our league it just got taken over by the saudis like newcastle oh god maybe <laughs> maybe <laughs> brilliant well look a sign of things to come indeed mm. indeed and we'll have that all to discuss next week but um hopefully we're playing newcastle just in time before they become all conquering superstars guys i'd like to thank you all for your time as always and look forward to welcoming hopefully most of you back again next week we'll be discussing the newcastle game and uh, hopefully a couple of other fun things and there'll be the return of challenge elio as well which uh, i'm sure elio can't wait to get onto to uh, try and extend his lead so from all of us here thank you very much for listening you stay classy, Spurs fans, and we'll see you again next week. Here's Deli Alley. Here's Lucas Moura. Oh, they've done it! They've done it! They've done it!